So I'm going to pray, and then we'll get started. Lord Jesus, I just thank you for today. I, I thank you that you are good, regardless of what's happening in the world, regardless of whether we feel it, and sometimes don't even see it. You are good, and we can count on that. And Holy Spirit, we just invite you to draw closer now to open our hearts and minds to that which the Father would have us hear. Lord, we long to hear your voice, and we long to respond to your, your commands. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So we've been on this, uh, this journey of discipleship, a pathway, if you will. And the whole idea behind discipleship and this pathway is to create a framework that makes our faith more experiential, more relational, more vibrant. I mean, who wouldn't want, to, who wouldn't want that, right? How many of you have felt like your faith this past week has just been over the top, amazing? You feel so energized by what God is doing, and I'm the only person raising my hand. How many of you feel tired? How many of you feel a little bit discouraged? See, when Jesus invites us into relationship with him, He's actually inviting us into something that is transformational, that takes that tiredness and that discouragement and puts it on a trajectory towards joy. Now, let me be clear. Joy and happiness are two different things. And I won't go into a big, long explanation. But just because we don't always feel happy doesn't mean we can't have joy. And joy is a response to the sovereignty of God and the love of Jesus Christ. And so discipleship, broken down quite simply, is just... What are we doing with our life with God? You can all ask yourselves that question. How is my life with God? Another question that we're going to talk more about today is, how is my life with others? I had a, a friend that was a pastor, <clears throat> and um, he used to say that whenever he baptized people, he just wanted to go ahead and keep them down. <laughs> Super dark, isn't it? I won't tell you about his church. He said he wanted to just keep him down, and I looked at him, and he kind of had a dark sense of humor, so I, I knew he was joking. I rethought my baptism with him. Um, he said, yeah, because when they come up is when the trouble starts. And in some ways, that's so true. Because we begin to be transformed, what used to be comfortable all of a sudden may feel uncomfortable, right? Am I right? And God doesn't leave us where we are. That's what discipleship is. I've been walking with the Lord now for 30 years, which blows my mind. And you know what? He's still not done. I keep thinking, like, I, I was talking to a good friend of mine recently. I was like, does it ever get easier? And, and my friend is, you know, a little bit further along in years than I am. And he's like, no. I'm like, that's a stupid answer. I hate that. <laughs> and he goes, but isn't it beautiful that God never walks away from us? That it doesn't get easier, but it becomes less and less about us the longer that we walk with him. And so we're going to talk about life with God, life with others. And then my favorite topic, life on mission. How many of you are doers? Yeah, there's a fair number of us, right? My wife is like, can't we just sit? I'm like, no, that would be horrible. Why would we sit? We should move all the, I told Kurt, you should get all these chairs out of here. People are sitting too much. We need to get out and do things. <laughs> you know, life on purpose often is, is just about us hearing the voice of God and responding. See, each of us is designed. We're hardwired 
to respond to the voice of God. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that. Because the other thing that's really important is we are hardwired to respond to the voice of God together. Did you know that? It's not this thing where we like give our lives to Jesus and then go find a hollowed out tree and eat bugs. We're called and commanded, if you will, to live life with others in our response to God's voice. One of the, uh, one of the privileges of my life is to get to play rugby. And I know that everybody's like, that's a weird sport. Why are you talking about it? Um, and it's, it's interesting because I get to hang out with these guys, and some of them are really, really rough. Some of them aren't. But I get to be Jesus with those guys. I was at the Friendswood High School football game the other night. I hear this voice from the bleachers. Preacher! And rugby every head has, has a nickname. I just thank God that mine doesn't have expletives in it. Preacher! And I thought, wow, what a privilege for the past 15 years. I've gotten to walk with a group of guys. And that's how they know me. When I started playing rugby, I had a choice. Rugby's a game that's known for roughness. It's a game that's known for drinking. It's a game that's known for, you know, foul language and violence. And I could have walked into that team and just engaged in those things. The problem is it's not who I am, right? When we do life with others on mission, it's God taking who we are and putting us in the midst of circumstances where we get to be an example of him. Let that sink in for a second. If you're going through rough circumstances, God's desire is not necessarily to rescue, from, rescue you from those circumstances. God's desire is to let you shine him in the midst of those circumstances. Anybody ever had a job that they hate? Or a workplace that they don't like being at because the culture's really bad? Anybody ever stood in the driver's license line and thought, oh my God, my tax dollars at waste, I mean at work? You're in those circumstances, those little annoying circumstances, because God wants to shine through you. And in that, draw others to him and put us on mission together. It sounds like, you know, a little bit, it can be a little bit scary, but it's not. It's good. And if you do it long enough, it gets really good. All right, let me move on. Let's look at John chapter 15. Should be up on the screen, but if you want to pull it up on your phone, you can do that. Or if you have a paper Bible, you're a Neanderthal like me and you use a paper Bible. So John, let me set the scene here. John is with his disciples. I mean, John. Jesus is with his disciples. John is there. Sorry. Jesus is with his disciples. Hopefully that's the worst mistake I make. Um, in a vineyard. And so he's using agricultural language because it's easy. That's an illustration, right, that he, can, that he can go to. And he's getting ready. He knows what's coming. We move on into John 17. He prays, and then he goes to his death. And so what he's doing is he's leaving them some last words, some last teaching before he's crucified. And he starts off here in verse 9, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. 
I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. And at the end, you are my friends if you do what I command. Let's stop there for just a second. What is, what is Jesus really saying? What do you guys think Jesus is really saying? I know it's always a little bit like you can answer. What do you think Jesus is saying? Nobody? It's a little bit obvious, but it's also not. What is, what is Jesus commanding his disciples? To love, to love one another. Right. And what does that look like? He says it at the end. What's that? To lay down your life for each other. It seems so simple. It seems really simple. Except it's not. Because what if I don't like you? What if you're like super annoying? What if we have a falling out? What if we have a disagreement? How do I lay my life down for you if I don't even want to be in the same room as you? That's where it gets challenging, right? And laying our lives down, you know, <clears throat> I saw a, a statistic, uh, it's been several years ago when Jody and I were studying kind of marriage coaching, and it said, if you ask men across the U.S., would they take a bullet for their wife? I don't remember the percentage, but it was significantly high. The answer was yes. Yes, they would. And it said if you ask the same men, would they do all of the dishes? <laughs> the, the significantly high percentage was no. Now, this has been years ago, and men have progressed tremendously, right, ladies? We're so, like, really good at things around the house and helping you and being present. But it was interesting because laying down your life isn't necessarily dying for someone. It's dying to yourself. It's dying to what you want for the sake of others. That's where it gets a little bit more hard. And Jesus, in his life with the disciples, did this perfectly, right? He always did it. When they were in conversation, when he was talking to the crowd, he was able to do it because he was connected to the Father and he was on mission and he understood. Do we have the slide that says life with God gives us the resource we all need to navigate? Yeah. This is one of the points that Kurt <clears throat> illustrated. By the way, we co-wrote this sermon, um, which means he wrote 90% of it. Life with God gives us the resource we all need to navigate life with others. I can't give you what I don't have. Everybody knows that, right? And you're like, Ken, can you write me a check for 10 grand? <laughs> if you want to turn it into a trampoline. Because I don't have that, right? If I'm not connected to God, I can't love you if I'm mad at you. But if I'm connected to God, I can forgive you. If I'm connected to God, I can celebrate the fact that we can restore a relationship. If I'm connected to God, I can hold my tongue on Facebook. 
That was supposed to be a joke. <laughs> if I'm connected to God, I cannot get angry when someone at the grocery store bumps into me because they're in a hurry to get the last thing of Oreos. If I'm connected to God, I can walk into a workplace where there's negativity and frustration and backbiting and hold the line of my integrity and my joy despite all of those things. See, the reason that Jesus says love one another is because he understands that without it, the world just falls apart. We become angry, we become self-centered, we become difficult, we become resentful. Life with God brings love into our hearts that then flows into life with others. And that's really what he's trying to get at. So he goes on to say in verse, uh, sorry I'm messing with the slide people because they keep flipping back and forth. He goes on to say in verse 15, can you guys jump to that one? Yeah. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. It kind of feels like that's important. <laughs> because life with others is difficult. If we don't have love, it's not going to work. When I, was, um, when I was first on staff here, it would have been about 2003, and I remember... Uh, going to a ministerial alliance meeting with Alan because I was also kind of on Young Life staff and so I got to sit at that table. And there was a pastor there. His name was Harold Gentry. He was an African-American man. And I don't know the exact details, but I think he was the first African-American pastor invited to that table in Pearland, in the history of the ministerial alliance in Pearland. Now, most of us, if we heard that, we think, well, oh, it was, what, the 1960s? No, it was 2003. Modern times. Why? Because we had let, as, a, as people, we had let differences supersede Jesus' command to love. The reason he keeps saying my command is this, love one another, is because it is the answer to all of the social ills that we experience as a people. So life with others is where we follow Jesus in this way of love, and the way that we're able to do it is because we're plugged into God who gives us the resource to do that. I feel like I'm repeating myself, but I also feel like I'm just being honest. When I was preparing, I felt like I don't get this. Personally, I don't do this well. And I'm guessing some of you that are sitting in the chairs think, I don't do this well either. It's really hard. It's really hard to stay so connected to God that I love the, my brother or my sister standing next to me. Sometimes it's really hard to stay so connected to God that I love my wife well. Now, she's perfect. She never has any issues with this. 
right? She's always gentle of spirit and kind. <laughs> it's me. I'm the problem. I know that's not true. But it's funny how even in our closest relationships, we don't get this. We don't do it well. So please hear me say this. If you don't hear anything else, hear this. Life with God draws us into a mission and purpose of life with others. It was never meant to be done in a vacuum or in a singular church congregation or just with other Christians. It's sometimes really easy just to hang out with other Christians. If that's you, get, get outside of that. There are people that need to see Jesus in you. In the grocery store, at work, at school, wherever you are, they need to see Jesus in you. All right, let's move forward. <clears throat> the last kind of section of this is life with others is where we share the fruit of our lives. How many of you have a talent? Yes, everybody does. Come on, everybody has talent. Something. Maybe you're a madman on the kazoo. I don't know. Ava pointed out earlier that I have a wireless mic. I said, that's so I can engage in interpretive dance on stage. The sound crew know that. They're like, at any moment, Hannah could break out into interpretive dance. Set him free. She's mortified because she thinks I'll do something. She's probably like, oh, my God. One of the ways that we love parents is by embarrassing, uh, that we love our children, right, is by embarrassing them. That's how you know we love you. So one of the mostly true accusations that's been leveled at me over the years is that um, I'm insanely optimistic. And one of, the, one of the gifts that God has given me is this uh, deep-seated faith that it'll work. We can do this. I, it, it'll be good, right? Come on, follow me. We're going to storm the castle. And sometimes it's gotten me in a lot of trouble. I have a very good friend that attends this church, who's not here right now, who is not insanely optimistic. In fact, he is insanely realistic. And guess what? He's had some really dark times in his life where my optimism and my faith have been a gift to him. And I've had some times in my life where his, rea his realism has kept me alive. Literally. Like, Ken, don't do that. No, I'm gonna, we're going to do it. No, don't do that. That rope's not going to hold you. <laughs> that's a really deep, you know, don't do that. And, and life with God that's shared and sacrificed and laid down for each other gives us this opportunity to, to work together with our giftings to glorify God and to bless each other's life. And that's part of why Jesus is, he keeps saying that, love one another. Because my love for my friend looks like optimism and faith and encouragement. And you can do it. We can get through this. I'm here. I'm going to help you. I'm going to show up. And we're going to make it work. And his love for me looks like, hey, Hanning, don't do that. You're st that's stupid and you might die. It, it literally, right? Am I lying, Jody? How many times? He saved my life like 20 times. <laughs> And so when we lay our lives down and we love each other the way that Jesus commands us and we get that love again and again and again from an unending resource of God the Father, we create this beautiful thing. 
where we serve one another. And it's the same in our relationships with our family members, with our spouses, and with our children. So why does Jesus command it? Why does he say, my command is this? I think sometimes when I hear that word, Kurt and I were discussing this yesterday, when you hear the word command, it usually leads to something that you're not going to enjoy, right? Like, I command you. Actually, I pointed in the wrong direction. I command you, Brewster, to go get me some coffee. <laughs> Brewster's like, get your own coffee, loser. Um, what's actually happening in that word command without, without going super deep, you guys know the creation story, right? Where it says that God separated the light from the darkness. He separated the waters from, from the land and everything. So that's what actually is happening. Is It's more of a calling forth. So when Jesus is saying, my command is this, he's saying, my calling forth to you, Donna, is to love one another. My calling forth to you, Brewster, he's calling something that's already in us. Does that make sense? Because our, we are hardwired to respond to the voice of the Father, and we're hardwired to do it together. But in the same sense, it's a command because guess what? It's going to cost you. It's a command because it's not convenient. It's not going to be convenient to love one another. Anybody who says it is is trying to sell you something. Sometimes loving one another is really, really, really difficult. And it means we have to take whether or not we're right and put it on a shelf. Whether or not we have vindicated and lay it down and let it die. Whether or not we have the resources or the energy or the time to love one another and say, I'm going to do it anyways because Jesus has commanded it. The way of God's kingdom is always going to cost us. And Jesus was the perfect example of it because he was willing to pay that cost. So here's where I want to I leave us. Well, there's two things. One is this. If you struggle with loving others, I think God wants to heal that in you. And the reason I say that is because as I was preparing, I thought, I don't even like people, Jesus. Why am I teaching this message? And it, people always laugh at that, and they think if it, Jody's, Jody knows. Like, I get so tired of just the general public. I would way rather live on 50 acres with high fence all the way around it and not have to talk to anybody. I'm an introvert who masquerades as an extrovert, right? Give me a cup of coffee. Give me a book. Put me in a corner. I'll see you in three weeks. That's kind of how I'm wired. And yet again and again and again, Jesus fills me up and then pours me out. Because that's what he wants to do. So if that's you, I want to pray for you in just a moment. And the second thing is this. From a political perspective, from a racial perspective, from a orthodoxy perspective, this is not an option. I have good friends that are, that are on the other side of the political spectrum from me. 
It's not optional that I love them. I have friends that are on the opposite side of geopolitical stuff that's happening. Jody and, and Ava and my family have had the privilege of serving in world missions. And so I see somebody put something incendiary on social media about certain conflicts. And I think, ooh, I'm going to blur. I have all the facts and the knowledge. And Jesus is like, stop it. Oh, okay. It's not optional. It's just not. You're called to love one another, even if they don't agree with you politically, even if they don't agree with you from a, from a how, you know, I had a friend come into church here one time. I love our vineyard worship, by the way. It's so much fun. There's so much energy in it, right? And it's good, and we, raise, we get to raise our hands, and we get to feel. They came in, they're like, that's not church. I'm like, what do you mean it's not church? That's not church. All that standing up and jumping around and people clapping. Who are they clapping for? They're clapping for themselves. That's not church. I still got to love that person, even though they're a complete moron. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Because that's a brother in Christ. And even if he wasn't a brother in Christ, and sometimes I question his salvation, he hates so many things. I still got to love him. It's not optional, okay? So let me pray for us, and I'll be done. Um, so first of all, if you will, just if you're able and uh, willing... Um, stand, and I'm not going to make anybody come up front, but I definitely feel like the Holy Spirit wants to heal some things. Uh, when, when, at one point in our lives, we, uh, we lived in another state in the South, and um, this is only in the mid-90s, and our pastor um, at our church decided to switch pulpits with an African-American pastor in that city. And when that pastor took the podium at the front of that church, half of the church turned around and turned their backs to him. It was 1996. And I recognize that sometimes the pain that we experience along racial divides, whether we're black or white or brown or, or whatever uh, color and characteristics God has chosen to give us, can create pain that can only be healed by the Holy Spirit. So... If you have trouble with this sort of thing, I'm not, you don't even have to raise your hand. But I know something that God healed in me a long, long time ago, and I'm going to ask him to give the same thing to you. Whatever it is, okay? Maybe it's not racial, maybe it's whatever. Maybe you don't like people with yellow dogs. I don't know. So, Lord Jesus, I just ask now, through your power, through your grace, through your healing, would you heal those of us that have things in our heart that prohibit us from loving others? And God, I recognize in asking that prayer that that pain could be so deep, that that could be something that, that has never even maybe been expressed in the light of day, but you know it and you can heal it. So I pray now, Holy Spirit, you pour out your love, your grace, your forgiveness, whatever needs to be poured out into those people's hearts so that they can be free to love the way that Jesus has called us to love. And Lord, for those of us that just tend to walk around low-level annoyed because the world feels difficult and frustrating, would you fill us again and again every day that we could love others the way that we're called to? And I thank you that this is a church that has a long 
history and thread of reconciliation and the ministry of reconciliation, and we ask for more of that, Lord. I pray right now that as Kurt's speaking, you would give him such an anointing that people's hearts and hurts would be wide open to your love and to your grace. And thank you, Jesus, for these people. I ask you to bless them as they go forth from here to be carriers of your love. Amen.